Well, for those of you who are new here, I'm Laura Crosby, and that was my husband John, the senior pastor, doing the children's sermon. And he is very kind to have encouraged us to switch places. I'm usually doing the children's sermon. Um, so I'm very grateful to be speaking today. But I got to tell you, he loves doing the children's sermon. People think of me as the creative, but he really gets into being creative and communicating with the kids. Maybe some of you have heard the old story of a children's sermon where the pastor got the kids to sit on the steps, just like John did, and he said to them, okay, kids, what is brown and furry and eats nuts? And the kids kind of looked at each other, and finally one of them raised his hand a little bit, and the pastor called on him, and the little boy said, well, I, I know you want us to say Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. I just want to say this morning, it is all about Jesus. No matter what, the answer is Jesus. That is what this sermon is about. Last weekend, John started introducing this uh, series on Colossians, and he reminded us that Colossians is a letter written by Paul, who is in jail in Rome, not great circumstances, but he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae to encourage them to make sure that they're not getting sucked into any heresies. Actually, the church at Colossae was planted by Epaphras. Paul had been in Ephesus, had met Epaphras, had discipled him, and sent him out, and Epaphras started this new little church in Colossae. So these are new believers. They don't know about Jesus. They need to learn about Jesus and God. And so Paul is writing to them. It's not a church that he's been to, but he feels like it's his church, kind of. So he's writing to encourage them and to correct them and to teach them, okay? So this morning... We're going to be looking at the passage that's Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And before we get there, I want to say this passage is more about who than about do. And that's not really my jam. I was not real excited about this passage, but God has used it. And I really hope that um, together we will get excited about it um, in this time. I am one that likes a charge the hill kind of sermon, but this in this passage, I felt like God was saying to me, we need to know who before we do. So if you want to take out the Pew Bibles and turn to page 1753, 1753, and if you want to grab a pen or a pencil too, this is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And while you're looking for that, um, many of you may already know this, but if you have trouble finding all those little uh, letters at the back of your Bible, a good little thing to help you remember them is go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go, G, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, got it? Okay, little thing to help you remember the order in the back. So if you're there, we are going to read it, but, and I, I do want you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to use those, but you might, as we read it, we're going to read it together, and I'd encourage you to read it from the screen because I have, every place it, has said, it says he or him, I have put in Jesus, because that's what uh, Paul is, that's who Paul is referring to, and I really want that to be emphasized to us. And as we read, I would also ask you to look for repeated words or phrases, because as we interpret God's word, that's one thing that helps us. So let's read together, starting with verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, who's it about? Jesus, absolutely. And what are the words that are repeated? All things. You can, in your Bibles, in your pew Bibles, you can underline all things. All things. Jesus made all things. His supremacy is all-encompassing. He is the center of everything. This is about Jesus and all things being made for and through him. So, Jesus is our who, and today we want to look at three characteristics of our who and why they're important. But first, I want to give you a little quiz. If I show you this, look at the screen, what's that an icon for? Facebook. And if you see this, Google Maps. And if you see this, Jesus. The very first thing it says in this passage is that actually, this is an icon, but Jesus is our icon for God. Jesus is our icon, the image of the invisible God. The people that Paul was talking to, like I said, didn't know about Jesus. They needed to learn. Paul in Colossians 1.15 in the message says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. There's a story of a little girl who was drawing something and her teacher came up behind her, she was looking over her shoulder, and she said, what, what are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And uh, the teacher said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, well, they will when I'm done. <laughs> so I asked my friend Daisy, who's six years old, to draw me a picture of God, and this is what she drew. She was brilliant, right? She knew that if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. Colossians isn't the only place that we see this. Just a couple of other quick places, and this is important. In John 14, 9, it says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. So if we look at Jesus, we see God. But so what? Why is that so important? Why is that a big deal? I think there are a lot of reasons, but I think one of them is it prevents us from making God in our image. We tend to project onto God our feelings, our experiences, and for example, a lot of times we can come up with distorted images of God. Say, for example, you have a father who is very shaming or dismissive or rejecting, and your experience without Jesus as a corrective may cause you to think that God is 
shaming or dismissive or rejecting. And he's not. When we hold up our experience or our feelings to the picture of Jesus, we see that Jesus loved, he included, he honored women, he drew to him sinners and said, I love you still. So Jesus keeps our view of God in check. Let's look again at the Bible at some repeated words in verse 16. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. So the second characteristic of our who is that we see he is our creator and sustainer. If you want to underline the words created and creation in your pew Bibles, go for it. But God didn't just make everything. He holds everything together. We aren't meant to hold things together. We are meant to be dependent on God. So why is this important? Notice what Paul includes in the list of what Jesus created. He says he created thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. When Colossians was written, Caesar's image was everywhere. Caesar was seen as Lord, as God. There was a temple built to him. There were songs written about him. They had the misconception that Caesar was Lord, and Paul wanted to make sure that these Colossians knew, no, All of these rulers, including Caesar, are under the dominion of God. Now, I wonder if Paul was here today, what might he have to say about our presidential election? I'm just guessing, but I think he might say, you guys, You are so worried, you are so stressed, you are so afraid that if the wrong person is elected, the world will end. Or if the right person isn't elected, the world will end. You are focusing on the wrong thing. You are putting your faith in political systems instead of putting your faith in God. Jesus is who we need to focus on. I like this quote by Andy Stanley. He says, governments matter. Policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand that God keeps his promises and nothing can thwart the plans of God. We need to get involved in the political process. I mean, we need to be informed, we need to vote, but we need to not put our faith in the people that we vote for. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, when I was in college, uh, I was a newer believer, and I remember being taught the importance of priorities in terms of this, you know, Jesus as our priority. And I remember being taught it, it needed to be God first, then family, then school or work, and then recreation. But as I've grown and as I was looking at this part of this passage of Scripture, it, it seems clear to me that this is, this is a little bit off. Uh, because if we make a list of our priorities, we are segmenting or um, 
separating out our faith from the rest of our lives. We're compartmentalizing Jesus. So what if uh, instead of Jesus and then my family, Jesus in my family? Instead of not Jesus and then my work, but Jesus in the center of my work, integrated into all that I do. Not Jesus and then recreation, but Jesus in my recreation. What if Jesus was the center? Yes, he's the first, but he's the center. He's integrated into all of our lives. What if Jesus is the writer, the director, the main character of my whole life story? So we've looked at the, our who being our icon, our who being our creator and sustainer, and then third, and this is so important, Jesus is our reconciler. Verse 19 says, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. This is the heart of the gospel. Paul is putting in what we need to know about the gospel here. We are separated from God through the sin in our lives. God desires for us to be in relationship with him forever. And so God sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God and live with him forever. In this passage, in addition to saying that we were reconciled, it says in uh, 120, it says, Jesus was our sin sacrifice, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in 2.13, it says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. And then Paul sums it up beautifully in chapter 2, and I'm going to read from the message. It says, God brought you alive, right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Now, the error that Paul is correcting here is that the Colossians, like all of us, are tempted to be doers and to add rules and regulations to the gospel. This is about grace. This is a free gift that God has offered to us through Jesus Christ. And um, I would just, to emphasize this, to say what we've said before, there is nothing you can do good today that can make God love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing bad you can go out and do today that can make God love you any less than he already does. Eugene Peterson says, the message of the American church is you can do it. But the message of the Bible is he's done it. So this passage really is more about who than do, but there are two little things that you can do. If you've been looking at Jesus but haven't accepted him as your Savior, that is something you can do, and it's so simple. All you have to do is pray and say, Lord, I recognize I'm separated from you. I need your forgiveness through Jesus. I want to follow you and live with you for all of eternity. 
Will you forgive me? Will you be the leader of my life? That prayer is so simple, but it is life-changing. And so if you're in that boat today, I would invite you to consider doing that. Like I said, I really want a sermon that is charge the hill kind of thing. But as I was reading this, as I was studying it, I felt like God said to me, Laura, stand down. Relax. I want you to enjoy me, to rest in my grace. Those of us who have been believers for a long time, we may skip over all of this. But I believe God wants us to be reignited in our first love and to truly enjoy God. It makes me think of the Westminster Catechism that says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what if our do for today was to enjoy God? How do you do that? How do you enjoy Jesus? Well, I think, first of all, you you have to get to know him in his word to enjoy him. But then beyond that, I think we're all wired uniquely, and we connect with God in different ways. So for some of you, you may feel like your greatest enjoyment of Jesus comes when you're gathered here worshiping or singing worship songs in your car or reading a psalm. Others of you may feel like you are enjoying God the most when you are in silence and solitude. Others connect with God when you're serving. There are others when you're, we're out in creation. But the more we enjoy God, I think the more we glorify God. I want to close with a, a story that I hope will give you an image that will stick with you and, and help you to enjoy God. Every year in May, uh, John has a board meeting that is outside London and I get to go with him, so nice perk for me. This year, we added a couple of days on, and we went down to Hastings. Have any of you ever seen Foyle's War? It's a BBC. Okay. So Foyle's War is filmed uh, in Hastings, and we wanted to go stay there. So we went there, and when I talked to John about this, he's like, oh, that's so great. There's a great battlefield right near there. We got to go see it. And I'm like, (laughs) battlefield, not exactly my thing. Well, it turns out this is kind of a big deal. Battle of Hastings in 1066 took place there, and we went, and we did the audio tour, and we did the video and everything. It was fascinating. Well, it turns out that back in 1066, there was this British king, Harold, who was a new king, and he had kind of gotten his kingship by not... uh, kosher means. Uh, And so that was a little dicey. And then there was William the Conqueror in France. His name kind of gives away who won this battle. William the Conqueror. So we have William the Conqueror in France, and we have Harold, King Harold in Britain. And both of these guys wanted to be boss of the island. So William attacks. He comes, and he's trying to take over the kingship in England. And he comes, and you can see we went to the battlefield, and the, uh, the British soldiers were up there where there is an abbey and a school now, kind of had the high ground, and the French soldiers were in the low ground. So this was a really intense battle over a long period of time, and they're fighting, they're fighting. Well, partway through the battle, some of the French soldiers get, they get, hear the rumor that William has been killed. Well, that causes them to lose heart, and some of 
the soldiers at one end of the line start to retreat because they're so discouraged. William gets wind of this, says, no, I'm alive. He gallops his horse over, he lifts his mask, and he says, no, I'm alive. Take heart. Victory is ahead of you. Only death is behind you. I love that picture. I think of God lifting his mask and showing us himself through Jesus. I think of all the times when we may have felt discouraged or disheartened in the battle, overwhelmed or lonely. We forget who we are or whose we are. But every time we open our Bible this week, God lifts his mask and shows us himself in Jesus. He has been here. He has fought this battle. He knows what it feels like. And like William, he says, take heart. Victory is ahead of you. Only death is behind you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you. We pray that you would reignite our love and excitement for you in this passage of Scripture where we see all of who you are in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that um, you might draw to yourself those who haven't yet come to accept you. And we pray that we might model your love to all those we meet this week. In Jesus' name, amen.